0: You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into a message that might sound a little strange, but man, I've been... I've been thinking this over in my head for quite a few years now. I first stumbled across um, this kind of teaching a few years back, and uh, I, I think I tried to preach on it a few times, but it was just kind of complicated to relate, because some of these passages are really ancient, and, and it's hard to talk about until you've really just had time to sit and dissect with it. If you do follow our podcast at all, then you heard me this two weeks ago get into this theme a lot, um, but we're going to talk about it. Uh, in a little more detail in how it takes us into Matthew. So uh, let's go ahead and jump in here. Um, Obviously, one way of thinking that a lot of people take today is atheism, which is the idea that there is no God. And uh, part of the reason that people come to this conclusion, there's all kinds of reasons, but one of the reasons is because you can't see God, right? Even our Bible tells us that, that if you were to actually see God face to face, you would die, right? That'll be the end of your life right there. So anyone who has actually seen God face to face, there's a reason you haven't heard about it because he's not around anymore. Right? So, um, <laughs> why are we clapping for that? <laughs> <don't sound> <laughs> right, um, but here's the thing, strangely enough, we come across a lot of weird stories all throughout the Bible where you do see God face to face. Even in fact, God told Moses, if you see me face to face, you'll die. But within like a few verses or within like a chapter or two, guess what happens? Moses goes and meets with God specifically face to face. And so you, the reader, when you come across these passages, you're like, hold up. Somewhere here, things are are getting thrown off. But you see these stories all throughout the Bible where people meet with God face to face in the strangest of ways. This is what theologians call a theophany. It's a word that is somewhat useless because it tells us nothing. The definition would be a visible appearance of God to humans. <laughs> Thank you, theophany. That really helps us get a firm grasp on the fact that we're seeing God face to face. Not a lot more details to that, just a lot of collection of stories. But you see these stories all throughout the Bible where people come in contact with God in the strangest ways. So these are some of the theophanies. There's probably more, but I wanted to give you just a few. Up on the screen, you've got like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like seven theophanies alone in Genesis. And some of these are really weird, right? Like uh, Moses, no Moses, sorry, Abraham. Abraham runs into God and two angels. You remember this story? They're on the way to like Sodom and Gomorrah. And like, it's as weird as though you ran into God at the grocery store. You ever had this happen where you're running to someone at the grocery store? Like, hey, haven't seen you in forever. You want to go get some coffee sometime? Maybe come over to my house. Eat. That's like the same story with Abraham. He sees God walking. He's like, hey, Abraham, how you doing? Or sorry. Hey, God, Yahweh, the Lord, how are you doing? How about you come over to my house? We'll, we'll cook up uh, some food for you, and then we can wash your feet. What? How are you washing God's feet? <laughs> What are these stories all about? We'll wash your feet and then we can uh, uh, cook up some food. And then you've got Sarah sitting in like outside the tent, trying to listen in to this conversation between Abraham and Yahweh sitting in a tent, eating food together. What are you supposed to do with a story like that? A lot of these stories are just like that. They just say it point blank. And so we're left with, it's a theophany. God just appears. We, We don't really know what else to really say about that. But then there are some of these theophanies where things get a little more confused. We get some more details and we realize that God is there. They are literally talking to Yahweh. They're talking to God. But he is somehow a physical being in front of them. It's not God in like the heavenlies where you see him face to face and you die. But it is God. So... One of the ways in which within these theophanies, the specific ones highlighted up on the screen, these are about the angel of the Lord. Now, if you're like me, you see it written down in your Bible, the angel of the Lord, and it means nothing to you. It's just like, okay, so just a random angel shows up and gives some marching orders to these people. No, the angel of the Lord is a specific angel. This is his title. He doesn't have a name. It's just the angel of the Lord. This angel is weird because when he shows up, he talks as though he is, in fact, God. For example, a very famous story in the Bible is uh, Moses in the burning bush, right? You've seen maybe Prince of Egypt and that, that bush is, is glowing, it's fire, and a voice is coming out of it. But it's missing a weird part of the Bible where it says... The angel of the Lord is standing in the bush, (laughs) speaking out of it. Therefore, God, when he says, you know, my name is Yahweh and he says all these things, it's coming out of the mouth of this specific angel. And this angel gets very confusing throughout these theophanies because it's clear from the way that it's being stated. if the Hebrew authors wanted to be more careful, they would have been more careful. But it's clear from the way that they're talking that they are trying to jumble the fact that the angel of the Lord is, in fact, God himself in a form in, on earth that you can see, that you can touch, that you can have conversation with. So in Genesis, you see uh, you see the angel of the Lord uh, entering in chapter 16. In Exodus, you see him show up. Joshua, He goes up to Joshua. And here's something interesting. Like, you can't worship angels, right? Only God is worthy of worship. Revelation actually shows us a picture. If you go to the book of Revelation, the guy writing it, John, he tries to worship an angel. And the angel's like, oh, don't do that. I'm I'm just a guy. I'm just an angel. You can't worship me. And Joshua, Joshua bows down and worships the angel of the Lord. And the Bible shows that as an okay thing to do. What? Obviously, again, the Bible is showing this this weird glimpse of this angel of the Lord is, in fact, God himself. And once you get into Judges, you see really strange stories. Um, You come across Gideon. Gideon talks to the angel of the Lord. And again, it's this weird, like, obviously this angel is Yahweh. Because the way the, read it later and you'll see, like, the way it's phrased, you're like, is he God or is he not God? It's just confusing. And even in Samson's parents, in Judges uh, 6, the angel of the Lord shows up again. And in all these stories, when you think of angels, you think of, like, beings with wings, right? It's in every picture we've ever seen. It's actually not in the Bible. When angels show up in the Bible, they tend to look like humans. That's why the New Testament says, like, sometimes people have entertained angels unaware of it because they couldn't really make out the difference between any other person in the room and the way that an angel looked. So when these angels materialize, they're often referred to as uh, they look like humans. In this case, the angel of the Lord, though, is not just any particular angel. He is God himself. Some of these other ones, though, if we were to look at some of the other theophanies, I've highlighted four more up there of these theophanies. These ones don't go by the name the angel of the Lord. These ones go by the word Of the Lord. Genesis 15, Abraham has a vision of sorts, but it seems like a very tangible vision because the word of the Lord comes to him and then kind of like walks him outside. (laughs) So, like, it seems like there's this physical presence of God. It is God again, but it's not the term angel of the Lord. This time it's the word of the Lord. It's not someone different, but this theophany of God manifest on the earth. These are all different names by which people have referred to him in the Bible. First Samuel three. You remember that famous story where Samuel's asleep in the area inside of like the Holy of Holies? The word of the Lord comes to him in that place and speaks to him. Uh, in first Kings, you see Elijah speak to the word of the Lord. Jeremiah, this one really helps us out. Okay? So Jeremiah, whenever you think of the word of the Lord coming to a prophet, what are you thinking? You're thinking like audibly, right? Like, ah, the word of the Lord has come to me. I can hear him. Because the prophets, of course, are writing down what God says, what they feel that he's impressed upon them. And there's a lot of different ways in which God communicates to the prophets, but it becomes clear that one of the ways God talks to the prophets is by manifesting in front of them as the word of the Lord. So if we pay close attention in passages like Jeremiah 1, it says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and then he writes down what he says. But then out of nowhere, Jeremiah says, and then the Lord touched my lips. <laughs> How does the word of the Lord touch your lips? He reaches out and touches Jeremiah. In other words, Jeremiah is actually like sitting in the room with this manifest presence of God, who is God, but is not God in the sense that if you saw him, you would die But he is at the same time, he's God, telling him what to say. An angel, if you were to translate that in Hebrew, it just means messenger, okay? So what an angel should do by definition is just deliver a message from God to people. The angel of the Lord does not do that. He does deliver a message, but then he's always answering. If Abraham's like, okay, so I got a question based on what you said, the angel of the Lord will explain and answer to you. He doesn't go back and ask God and come back. He just talks as though he is God. So everybody keeping up with me? I'm showing you weird glimpses of where God becomes manifest in front of people. He appears to them. He's physically there. And when we really dissect, we can see like it's not just as empty as like, oh, it's a theophany. It's weird. We don't get it. There's nothing there. No, there's some established ideas here that God can take on a form that doesn't kill you, that you can see right in front of you. Now, this should speak volumes to us because we have a famous passage that now with all this in my mind gives me shivers when I think about it. It's the start to the Gospel of John. Knowing what you know now, hear it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Is that different from anything we just learned? This word in the Old Testament that I think John, I think John's referencing several themes when he calls Jesus the word. But this word right here, I think part of what he's saying is, you know, the word you've seen him throughout the scriptures where he comes up and he shows up out of nowhere. That word, he's been there since the beginning. okay so Jesus wasn't just created when we needed Jesus. Jesus has always existed. And the word was with God and was God. That fits everything we've learned so far. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Oh, John is making a huge statement right here. You know, the Jews actually had uh, some, some teaching that there is God invisible and God visible. This God who shows up in all these theophanies we talked about, and then God who you can't see because if you saw him, he'd kill him. You, you'd die, right? The Jews actually had a lot of teaching around that, but when Christians started talking about the Trinity, And started making light of the teaching that they had in a new way as Jesus being that word now become flesh. They abandoned it as heresy so that things wouldn't get confused for people chasing after Jesus. But now that we've done studies, we see that they used to think these things and they got rid of it when the Trinity started entering the scene. But right here, you see John saying, God has always existed, Jesus has always existed, He was the Word. And the new thing the word did was put on human flesh. Sure, he's always kind of looked like a man when he appeared in the Old Testament, but this time he's actually been born of a human being. He didn't just materialize or anything like that. Nothing supernatural. The most supernatural part of the story of Jesus is I have subjected myself as the word to be born of humanity, just like all humans are born, (laughs) and live a human life. Subject myself as God into a human body and live this out. So now we think of Jesus as the son of God, right? I mean, we we know that because we know the whole story, but you got to put your your imagination into the people of uh, Jesus' time, right? The disciples, I wonder how much they really caught on to about Jesus being this supernatural being. Because think about it. That that sounds crazy, right? (laughs) Most of us, like, if we found out that one of you in here was actually God incarnate, we'd be like, no, that sounds crazy. That's ridiculous. That would never enter our mind. That sounds insane. And so that's probably what the disciples were doing. They're like, we don't really fully know who Jesus is, but he's our friend. But we've been following him, but God's obviously anointed him with the Holy Spirit to do powerful things, just like he anointed people in the Old Testament to do powerful supernatural things. But this Jesus guy, he's like anointed beyond belief. The stuff that he does, man, God has just really empowered him with the Holy Spirit to do all kinds of crazy things. But are they thinking that he's a supernatural being, that he is the word of God? (laughs) Probably not. And so you see that kind of slowly develop throughout Matthew. Eventually they kind of get there, but you still got to wonder how much they really caught on. Here's what you see about Jesus being a son of God, being a supernatural being throughout Matthew. First off, you see that God, when Jesus gets baptized, God says, this is my son, right? And so early on, we see like from the heavens, God shouts, this is my son. This is the son of God, right? Right. The disciples weren't there for that, though. So maybe they're not thinking about that. Interestingly enough, you know who does recognize Jesus as a supernatural being? The Son of God? Satan. (laughs) He does it twice when he's tempting Jesus. He's like, you, if you're really the Son of God, jump off this building. If you're really the Son of God, turn these these stones into bread. Satan knows Jesus' identity in, in some way. He may not know that he is God, but he does seem to know, like... You're a supernatural being. I know who you are. Uh, If you were to move further, Jesus talks about God as his father. So you see Jesus teaching that he's the son of God. But do you think the disciples really thought like, oh, he's a spiritual being? Or do you think he was being metaphorical? Because Jesus also told everyone around him throughout Matthew, like you're all invited to the kingdom to be children of God. So like they're probably thinking, oh yeah, yeah, okay. He's He's a son of God just like we all are. Uh, Interestingly enough, not only does Satan recognize Jesus as son of God, but the demons recognize Jesus as son of God. Interestingly, Jesus always calls himself the son of man. That's his favorite nickname. But the demons are always like, ah, it's the son of God. Uh, So you see like the demons, the supernatural world is aware of Jesus as a spiritual being. Uh, then you get to the disciples. Now they're starting to figure it out. The reason they start figuring it out is because Jesus walks on the water. Now they've seen Jesus do a lot of crazy stuff, but this one just kind of blows their mind. So much so that in Matthew, Matthew writes that they saw Jesus walk on water and so they worshiped him. Which should blow our minds that Matthew would go that far, right? Because here Matthew, like, he might be able to get people on board and say Jesus was a good guy, is was a good human, did good things, was a prophet following God. But here we see Matthew saying like, he was more than that. We worshiped him. He was the son of God. We saw him walk on water, do things that humans cannot do. So now they're starting to pick up on it in Matthew 14. You move forward to Matthew 16 and Peter's finally like, he's got it down. I still don't know if Peter knows what he's saying. He may not be thinking spiritual being, but he does say, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Maybe he's just more reflecting on the Christ and just putting son of God as a title, how much he gets it. I don't know, but here's where we get and where we're at in Matthew today, where things become very evidently clear. It's the story of the transfiguration. You probably heard me preach on this before if you've been with us for a while. And usually what you hear me saying from the stage about the transfiguration is, I don't know, this thing's crazy. What are you supposed to do with this, right? I actually have studied it a lot this week and could take it in numerous directions, but obviously we're going with this spiritual being thing that we've been talking about. So in Matthew 17, here's the story that happens at the transfiguration. So Peter has confessed that Jesus is the son of God. He's catching on to it. All the disciples are starting to catch on to it. And then Jesus takes just a few of them up a mountain. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high (laughs) mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. In this passage, what has just been described to you is exactly what someone of Jesus' time would have recognized as an angel or a spiritual being from the heavens of some sort. Okay, so like, if we look at what the Bible says and what other Jewish religious writings said at the time, we can get our mind into the mind of the disciples. And one of the things we see in Daniel, Revelation, 4 Ezra, Apocalypse of Zephaniah and 2 Enoch is that all of these books were saying like, spiritual beings have shiny faces. They have shiny faces, and Jesus' face outshines them all. It shines like the sun. And that's how revelation is going to define Jesus' face later, right? Once he is fully in heaven and now like fully this this new resurrected human, this full spiritual being in that world, revelation says Jesus' face shines like the sun. So what you see at the Transfiguration is what John sees Jesus looking like now that he's taken power on the throne. So you see a shiny face, you're thinking, whoa, Jesus is not just any average guy. He's not a human. In fact, this guy is a spiritual being in front of us. On top of that, uh, Jesus' clothes are super white, right? Uh, if you get into the mind of the people of Jesus' time, you would have thought of this. As a spiritual being, Daniel, Luke, Revelation, 1 Enoch, 2 Enoch, 2 Maccabees, Pseudophilo, 4 Ezra, all of these different books, whether biblical or just Jewish writing of the time, understood that supernatural beings had clothes that were super bright, super white. And in fact, it's an invitation to Christians in Revelation, right? Come into following, come follow Jesus. And as your reward, Jesus is like, I will give you clothes that are white. <laughs> and he starts seeing all this. And so right here in the transfiguration, you see for a brief moment, these three disciples who maybe are starting to really kind of get a glimpse that Jesus is not just a standard human, that yes, he's very anointed in the power of the Holy Spirit, that yes, he's very much a prophet, that yes, he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, he is the one bringing the kingdom. But now at the transfiguration, they get a whole new glimpse of Jesus where they have to say, this guy's not even a man, (laughs) like his true essence, if you will, his true identity. We just saw it. He is a supernatural being. And as they continue to let the Holy Spirit guide them into revelation, your Bible writers finally come to the conclusion, Jesus isn't just like a supernatural being. He is God himself. And you especially see that said very straightforwardly all throughout John's gospel, right? So much so that he starts with the word. Hey, you remember the word of the Old Testament who was God among us? We could see him. He was God, but wasn't God. Well, guess what? That word put on skin and became fully man. But it was still that word. It was still that Guy who was God, but wasn't God, the full essence of him. This is a crazy story for us. But if we truly want to digest what the Bible's saying, then we have to get our minds in the ways that they would have thought to see the full glimpse of what God is doing. And when we do that, the Bible opens up in whole new lights. <laughs> Let me tell you, when you read the Old Testament, you're like, hold up. <laughs> Am I supposed to believe that Jacob was wrestling with Jesus? (laughs) It's just like these kind of passages start playing with you. But then you start looking for more meaning. You start trying to understand what was God doing back then? Where where are these stories leading us? The Bible leads us finally, uh, as we close out here, to recognize that you too will shine. That the body that Jesus puts on in the transfiguration is something like what he's offering to you. In fact, Moses and Elijah, who are next to Jesus at the Transfiguration, it says that they appeared in their own glory. So Moses and Elijah, as spiritual beings of the heavenlies now, because they're not alive on earth anymore, they too seem to have their own kind of shininess or glory. There's a lot of different ways to define glory. It's a very confusing word in the Bible. Um, But the Bible writers believe that that's where we were headed as Christians. Jesus said in Matthew 13 that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, calling us to like you too will be spiritual beings. If you stay following God, he will bring you into his kingdom. Uh, For in the resurrection, Jesus talks about the resurrection life. There's no more marriage, but he says it's because we're like angels in the heavens. You will become like spiritual beings like them. Revelation 3.5, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. Revelation 7.9, you see a great multitude that no one can number, standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes. So this isn't just like a, a story about, you know, us seeing Jesus for who he really is. It's also a story about seeing you for who you really are. Because the Bible is trying to, to show us time and time again, there is more to life Than just this life. This is not the most important thing. And I think sometimes we lose our grip on that. I just think about, (laughs) even if you think about how much time and effort we put into like working out. I know I can't talk because obviously, but like, you know, it's like I gotta get every moment of life out of this life that I can. And we forget like there's more here. There's more beyond this. We are here to do God's work, recognizing that the best of it is to come down the road when we enter into God's presence and he installs his kingdom on the earth. That you are more than you currently are. When you follow God, you become a new creation. That shininess, that righteousness begins now in a smaller form. Paul says, like, you're stripping off your flesh right now. You're becoming a new creation right now. And when Jesus comes back in his fullness, the fullness that's in Revelation, then all of that will be made clear. You'll be put into this new resurrected state. But until then, we are already headed there. We're already making our way towards the kingdom of God, towards the resurrection life. And if I sound crazy with everything I've said to you today, it's probably one, because I am, but two, um, you know, this is just like trying to do my, why are you shaking your head so vigorously back there? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, you relate, No, thank you. Nice save, yeah. Um, but two, it's just really trying to get your mind into the way the Bible writers thought. Because a lot of times I read these stories, and if you're like me with the transfiguration of the past, I'm just like, well, that's pretty weird. Guess we'll never know. <laughs> but then we just like try to understand how they see it. It's like, oh, all right. There's a lot more going on here. And so our tiny little band is going to lead in worship. But here's the invitation to you as we do that. The disciples, for a long time maybe all the way to the end, because they saw Jesus die on a cross. That's not what they expected. They uh, they probably didn't fully get the Jesus is God thing for some time. In fact, the Bible says that after Jesus died, he came back from the dead and then explained to the disciples all the prophecies that he fulfilled. And then they're like, oh, now we get it. So yeah, there's a lot they didn't grasp onto. Um, and for that reason... They might have found themselves a lot of time thinking they're just following a man. A man who can make a mistake like any one of us. A man who could do something wrong. A man who could die on a cross like any man could. And sometimes, I think we as Christians do the same thing. We follow Jesus like some other man. In fact, a lot of teaching, even Christian teaching now, I... I've heard and read some books where it's just like, ah, Jesus was a good guy, he was a good prophet, and he showed us what God looks like. And these are Christian books that aren't willing to go so far as to say like, he was God, (laughs) which the Bible was clear about over and over again. And so that's what a lot of us are doing today with our rational mindsets, we're leaving the world that the Bible writers wrote in, the world that they understood Jesus in, and we're trying to, to put Jesus into our world to be like, ah, just some good guy that we're following. He, he did all kinds of stuff for us. Is, is that the Jesus you're following or do you understand that Jesus is God? When he gives you instructions, he's giving it as God. It's not just like a pithy concern for your life or like, a, yeah, this would be good for you if you tried this out. No, this is God in flesh saying like, if you want your life to mean everything, then forget about the world and follow me. And so, as we enter into worship, that's the invitation to you, to, to truly follow Jesus as God, not as just some guy. Not as a man. While well, he was that. He was also a supernatural being. And on top of that, he was God himself. So, um, Let's take some time, worship, and just dwell on those thoughts for a bit.